Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we're from MindRobber.net, the home site of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all of the things on podcasts. Specifically this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who and our mothership podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about everything else. Um, and if you like our shows, you should review them, specifically on iTunes, because... <laughs> Who doesn't use iTunes for podcasts? And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or any other sort of cool thing you feel like sharing, email them to us at contact at minddriver.net, and who knows? Maybe we'll read them on this show, or the other one. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Whatever whatever works. And if you start, if you want to start a discussion, add it to the comments under this episode on the site, minddriver.net, so everyone can know what you're thinking. So, that's where we're coming from. It's a new, mm-hmm. it's a new, new copy we're reading. New yeah. copy. It is. It is. Ooh. New person reading it. <laughs> well, now, 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 now you know what I went through. Yeah, uh, I, I, I value your service. Let's say, <laughs> let's say that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, in Thank the you. trenches. In the trenches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so we're we're talking about uh, the fourth Doctor story, City of Death, and let me see if I calculated this correctly. This is in Tom Baker's. Sixth season? Yes. Ha ha! Yes! <laughs> I'm starting yes. to figure out how all of this fits together, finally. Yes. <laughs> finally, after a year of doing the show, it all sorts of sort of makes sense now. Yeah, so now this is in his sixth this is in his second to last season, correct? Yes. Yes. This is season seventeen, the uh Douglas Adams season. Right. Uh, which which Douglas Adams oversaw. Which, if you watch this episode, is clear. Uh let's say. Yeah. Yeah, because he's all over this, right? Um, so also, yes. also fun to note that John Nathan Turner is in the credits for this as like a yes. unit producer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, Nathan Turner, it turns out, actually was on the credits of the show going way back, like way, way back. He was on the, he was on like in the Hinchcliffe era as like a production floor manager or something, and he just worked his way up to producer. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Graham Harper's the same way. Graham Harper was like an assistant director to Douglas Camfield, who is a great director from the second, third, and fourth Doctor eras. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's not incestuous because that has a very negative connotation, but it's, uh, it's all in the family. It's all in the family. <laughs> Which is basically the same thing. Yeah, um, but all in the family sounds much cleaner. That's true. <laughs> More Godfather. That's true. That's true. Uh, so yeah, City of Death is, um, it's, 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 it's an interesting, I have a lot of thoughts about this episode. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about it, but what, what's the background and significance for it? Um, okay. Well, the background and significance of City of Death, 
Um, there's a lot of legend about it. For one thing, City of Death, for those not in the know, is widely considered to be one of the best Doctor Who stories ever made. Ever. Um, it, it's cited as funny, it's uh, got a skin-tight structure, and it's a story that I fully went into expecting to hate the first time and came out really loving it. Um, and I think Cassandra, my girlfriend Cassandra, she also watched it, and I don't think she liked it as much as I do, but I really, I think City of Death is one of the strongest stories ever. Um, it's written by, <laughs> quote-unquote, David Agnew, but David Agnew is not actually a real person. Uh, David Agnew is uh, a BBC pseudonym for whenever some, whenever the writing staff couldn't figure, couldn't get a script together, they basically threw up a pseudonym and then had everyone write in the background. Um, so it comes from an idea by David Fisher, who had previously written... Um, the Androids of Terra and the Stones of Blood in the previous season of uh, Tom Baker during the Key to Time. But Fisher's script wasn't working for Graham Williams or Douglas Adams, uh, Graham Williams being the producer and Douglas Adams being the script editor. So Graham Williams and Douglas Adams got together. They wrote it, basically, the whole script, because they were shooting in Paris. They somehow managed to go to Paris, which is the first time that Doctor Who was ever shot outside of England. Um, so it's the first over, uh, like, across the, like, over, out of England location shooting. And uh, they they shoot a lot of Paris. Um, and uh, it's it, there's a lot of legend to it. There's a legend that Douglas Adams wrote the whole thing in a weekend. And it's widely considered to be, like, you know, Douglas Adams' crowning achievement in Doctor Who. Uh, Robert Shearman recently said something that blew my mind that where he basically, and on a, I think it was Radio Free Scarrow, he did an interview where he said that, um... His view of City of Death is that Douglas Adams sure wrote, like, the main, like, dialogue and did the heavy polish on it, but it's all Graham Williams' structure, and if, and I think that's true, and it just shows you that what happens when you blend someone who's really good at structure with someone who's really good at character work. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, and it's also directed by Michael Hayes, who also directed Androids of Terror, which I love, and Armageddon Factor, which I hate. So, <laughs> uh, he does he does something I think he does a good job with this um but yeah it's a it's a I, I think it's a brilliant story I think it's absolutely amazing and it's one of it's super it's just fun it's engaging it's a rollick of a good time it's also smart the ending to episode two is I think one of the best cliffhangers in Doctor Who history because it's such a what the frack moment um uh so yeah that that, that city of death it's um it's also the, uh, unofficially the quote-unquote episode where the Doctor and... Or not the Doctor, Tom Baker and Lala Ward fall in love. Which is obvious. Um, so that's that's really where it comes from. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a story. It's a story. <laughs> so, Well, uh, before we get started talking about this, that story, uh, I want to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. This month at InStockTrades.com, you can purchase our book of the month, Batman the Black Mirror by Scott Snyder, Jock, and Francesco Francavilla. And uh, this book is available for only $17.99, which is 40% off the suggested retail price of $29.99. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. Uh, This book is good. (laughs) Scott Snyder writing Batman is genius. Scott Snyder writing Dick Grayson as Batman is genius. Oh, this is Dick Grayson Batman? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Oh, I didn't even know that. This is this is the this is the run that Scott Snyder had on <clears throat> Detective Comics. It's eleven issues long, and it started with Dick Grayson as Batman with a backup with a Commissioner Gordon backup story, and then eventually um, Snyder was just switching issues between. He would do like two or three issues of Dick Grayson Batman, and then two or three issues of Commissioner Gordon, and the two storylines like meet at the end of the book. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome, and the art by Jock and the art by Francesco Francavilla are—it's—it's it's out of this world. I read like the first half of it, and then I just stopped reading monthly comics. But I am dying to finish it. I just—I can't wait. I haven't so. read any of it. <laughs> oh man! I know there's a whale. Oh, there's a whale. There is a dead whale in a hotel lobby. It is fantastic. I'm—I'm I'm so excited. Um, also, it's important to note that. Uh, in Star Trades all this year, each month we're having a big, uh, like, end of the world sale. <laughs> Every month we're having a new end of the world sale because it's 2012. Oh, good. Someone's taking it seriously. That's <clears throat> Yeah. And uh, so this month it is Top Cow. So Top Cow and Image Books are um, at a, a big fat discount. Uh which is uh, 45% off all image books, image and top cow. And then uh, top shelf is at 48% off Ooh. everything. So everything image and top cow uh, put out is 45% off. Everything that top shelf puts out is 48% off. Not a bad discount. Uh, thank God the world's ending. That's all I got to say. Yeah. So uh, check out instocktrades.com. All right, so <clears throat> I have a lot of thoughts on this. I do. Sure. Here's what I'll say. Uh, I feel like this is this this doesn't. I think this episode as a whole, this story as a whole, is great in concept, but not necessarily in execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like everything. I actually love everything in episodes three and four, but I felt like the first two dragged, especially the first one. Sure. Um, the first one drags like nothing happens in the first one. Yeah, it's not. It's not super. Like the first one, it takes forever for the Doctor and Romana to get involved in the story, and then. You know, it's not until the very end of the episode that they're pulled in, sort of. Right. Um, and I then think. the second episode folds them in a little bit more, and then you're not really invested in what's going on. I'm just, I'm just not invested until that cliffhanger. Sure, sure. Um, that, which, that which cliffhanger is, is a hell of a left turn. It is, but it's two full episodes before we get there. Sure, sure. Which is sure. a long time. That's half a mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like – because you were talking about how well this is structured and I feel like it, it, it's really not that well structured. Hmm. I think it could have been structured a lot cleaner than this. Interesting. Um, because there's a lot more you could do because seriously – I like I understand budget constraints or whatever. But if you had been – if you, you could have structured this so that the doctor was jumping from time period to time period – Rather mm-hmm. than just going back and forth between the two time periods, I or or three if you count the prehistoric time period, um, 
if if he had jumped around a little bit more and visited more time periods, I feel like it would have been more interesting. And if he had done that earlier in the story than he does, um, like if if the cliffhanger to episode two had been the cliffhanger to episode one, I think we would have had a better story. Sure. I I just sure. I would have been invested more. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Um, so I don't, I don't, this is not even, I think, I think, like I said, I think the story, the idea of the story is one of the best stories that, that Doctor Who's ever done, but in execution, not so much. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so. I think, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I also, I, my perspective on it would probably be. He could jump around, but that's not the story they're telling. They're telling a story of guy who's stopping only one incarnation of Skaroth, of the Jagaroth, and that is the final version. Um, and the trip back into the past is just to lay down some groundwork for stuff that comes later, um, which is... which is. But that was, that was the most interesting part for me. Sure. Was the was the jumping like seeing this guy throughout history. Like that that mm-hmm. was the most interesting part for me and without that the more time jumping like it's just I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean it's um, it's literally just like about a sort of it's a story about a sort of counterfeit Mona Lisa scheme. Sort of, but like I think what makes it interesting is um Doctor Who, because because Doctor Who is these classic stories are always feature length. Um, they're always like you know over an hour and a half long. They have to kind of stretch out the main story so that it doesn't you know uh, you don't get to the main thrust of the story. You have to set up pieces first. Um, like if you look at just about any Robert Holmes script, like Pyramids of Mars, the first episode is all about you know setting up the pieces so that Marcus Scarman can appear at the end of episode one. Um, and then the story kind of goes into a different direction. What city of death does that's interesting is like, it's really the story. And it, I mean, it's in the first episode, the first episode, the very first thing you see is Skaroth of the Jagaroth, his ship explodes. And then, you know, the next time you see him is at the end of episode one. So like you're tying those two things back together, but in the middle, but in between until you get back to the main Skaroth part, the Mona Lisa theft storyline is all just to like keep the story moving forward because it starts with the Doctor and and Romana kind of investigating the Mona Lisa uh, disappearances or you know supposed theft that's going to happen towards the end of episode one, and then you get that through episode two, like and you get the reveal of the seven different Mona Lisas, and then when you hit episode three, now you're back into the Scaroth point of view and that's the sort of structure that i think is what makes it so interesting because it it, it's moving in a lot of different directions and the mona lisa is really like a subplot that takes over from the beginning and then kind of fizzles towards the middle um and that's that's the sort of thing that i think is really interesting because i i mean i personally i see what you mean i do find the first episode a little bit slow and disjointed and you know there are too many shots of the doctor and romana running through paris as much as i love that um, in, in the whole story not just in the first episode <laughs> sure i mean there is there is a lot of that running around but i mean, i find it most concentrated in the first episode uh, specifically cuz that's where they're all just having a good time um, but when you get to like, you know, I, I, I think that once you hit, once the doctor and Scarleone are in the same room, it's just, it's magical. And Julian Glover is incredible. Like 
He is the best fracking Bond villain I've ever seen in my life. He is very. He is a really good Bond villain. Yeah, and it's it. Oh my god, him in the suit and everything just just works for me. Yeah, and um, and how can you not love Dugan? <laughs> oh, and uh, he's great. Dude. I mean, I didn't I didn't like him the first time I watched it. Actually, I thought he was like a one note joke, and then I watched it again, and I was like, nope, he's actually a genius. <laughs> he's like, he's so funny. So so funny, um, and I love like if you and uh, watching it again, I'm just like I'm struck by how completely genius the last Duggan moment in the story is, like the big climax. It's just incredible. It's it, it, it works so perfectly because it's so well set up, and it's just it's funny. It's everything. It oh god, so good, so so good. All right, well, um, all right, so. We get into we start episode two or episode one with, uh, with the 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 ship blowing up, um, mm-hmm. and you're kind of left. It, it's true, like the structure of this does, like especially this opening thing does remind me a lot of a uh, Robert Holmes script. Sure. Um, like you were saying, with like just setting something up for later, mm-hmm. like you're watching something happen, you're just like, well, I don't know what that means. Um, or what it has to do with anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you see that and then, um, he, it blows up. Then you go to France and the doctor and, and Romana are running around France and then they go to a cafe and some guy is drawing her and he's like, don't look. And she's like, I'm going to look cause I'm stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> she looks and he gets really pissed off and throws the art away. And then they go to reach for it, and then time rewinds, and we repeat the scene. And then the doctor's like, oh, okay, something's messed up. Um, mm-hmm. There's a crack in time. <laughs> uh, haven't heard that since then. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a crack in time or something. The doctor has to steal it, flying the TARDIS or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, so they run off and then they go to the museum and then they're at the museum and it happens again. There's another, another time repeaty deja vu thing. And then the doctor does the most unconvincing pratfall I've ever seen. (laughs) It's, it's pretty amazing. It's. Yeah, it's like it's literally like it's just Tom Baker just hamming up the fall as much as he possibly can. Yeah, it's... yeah. This is this is we're we're now now that we're in the sixth season, we're in the crazy Tom Baker years, mm-hmm. where he's yeah. just like I know this character better than anyone. <laughs> I'm just gonna be nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's where we are. Also, can I talk about how much I hate him not wearing a tie? Yeah, it's pretty – it's my least favorite thing. I hate it. And it's like why is he even wearing the waistcoat if it's unbuttoned and you can never see it except at certain angles? I don't know. Why Why even wear it? I don't – he looks like a hobo. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, yeah. So anyway, so he collapses and he's like there's a crack in time and it's freaking me out. And uh, – <laughs> and then, like this guy who watched him freak out, like starts following him, and this is this is Dugan. Dugan, this is the first of of what I believe is a trilogy of sequences in which 
Dugan just can't keep up with Romana and the Doctor. <laughs> I mean, this is literally like a two-minute sequence of just us watching them walk and him follow from far behind. Yeah. Farther and a- farther behind. <laughs> There's a shot where they're literally across a river from him. Like, yeah. that's how far ahead they get. It's that Time Lord speed walking thing. Yeah. Don't, don't ever go in a speed walking race against Time Lords. It, you'll just get in trouble. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. So so then we get Julian Glover as this count dude and and the count is planning on stealing the Mona Lisa or exchanging it with a fake one whatever and uh even though like we find out later that it's not re- it's it is a fake Mona Lisa but it's not really a fake Mona Lisa cuz it's still painted by Da Vinci but it's not the original I it's I don't I don't even know what the point of that is but mm. Like you said, that kind of fizzles and has nothing to do with anything. I don't I don't I don't think I ever really understood why the count wants the Mona Lisa when his actual plan is to end all humankind altogether. So like what's the point of the whole Mona Lisa thing? The idea was um he wants the magician guy, he, not the magician, the, the scientist guy he's talking to says at a certain point of the story, what you're talking about doing is going to be tremendously expensive. And Scarleone's point is, I am selling the Mona Lisa for a hundred million dollars. A hundred million. One hundred million dollars. Right. Well, that's, it's good. <laughs> that's, wow. I know. It's a little over the top. But the idea is that he is... um. He wants to sell the Mona Lisa, but because he has seven prospective buyers, he actually is able to communicate with himself because he's fractured in time, as we find out later. He's fractured in time, and he's in all these different time zones, including uh, uh, Renaissance Florence, where he has he is a he is a count uh, hanging out. Uh, with uh, or a captain, Captain Tancredi. He's Captain Tancredi in that time zone, and he knows Leonardo da Vinci. So what he does is he has Leonardo da Vinci paint seven versions of the Mona Lisa, so seven identical copies, all authentic, all painted by um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and then he's going to get those, and he has them like in his wine cellar. He gets those copies, and he, sell- and he basically plans to sell all seven of them to seven different prospective buyers who will all own the Mona Lisa, which he can do because they can never show it to anyone because um, if you say, I have the Mona Lisa, then someone could be like, ah, you stole it and throw you in jail. So he's taking advantage of that and taking seven times the profit in stealing the Mona Lisa as he would by only stealing it. I see. Okay. Yeah. It sounds convoluted, but it's actually quite genius. <laughs> yeah, I see. I couldn't gather all of that. I think maybe it was sure. too convoluted for them to get across mm-hmm. for me the easily. First time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that all makes sense now. Um, yeah. It's just it's so funny the irony and the fact that like he's wanting this money to go back in time to make sure that none of this happens, and then <laughs> this then forms a time loop that you could really never get out of because if he had succeeded he wouldn't succeed if he had right. succeeded. You know what I mean? Cause the whole time loopy thing, like if he succeeds in what his plan was, the human race never would have existed. So there would have been no way for him to go back and raise this money to create the time travel to come back in time. So mm-hmm. then he wouldn't have done it. So the ship would explode. So then he would have done it. And it was just on and on and on time right. travels fun. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, we know all about time travel being fun. Oh boy! Now we're on this website. Now we're on this site. We can say yes. We've talked a lot about time travel <laughs> on a secret project that we can't talk about. Right. Which Yet. has nothing to do with time travel. At all. <laughs> Not anything. Shut up. Forget what I said. <laughs> uh, so anyway, anyway, basically episode one leaves off on uh, the count in a room and he's looking at himself in the mirror, peels his face off, and it's the alien from the beginning. Right. right. And he turns to the camera and looks straight at it. Yeah. With his I one eyeball. I love that mask. I love that mask. I love the fact that you can see the guy that's wearing it underneath. <laughs> I noticed that this time. <laughs> it's really funny. Also, it's amazing that he can fit inside a human head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a doohickey thing, you know. Oh, what right, else? right. The doohickey, right. The doohickey, you know, the doohickey, right. So we get this cliffhanger that really, like, is literally for the audience only. Right. Um, like one of those no-stakes cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, to tie us back to the initial thing to tell you that this is all related. Right. Right. Um, it's an audience cliffhanger. That's it. Sure. Yes. Uh, so then we go into episode two, and uh, this is where this is where stuff starts moving with the whole Mona Lisa thing. Um. Yes. Do you want to take it over? Sure. The doctor and um, Romana and Duggan are brought to Scarleone's chateau. They all hang out. Um, the doctor doesn't really take anything seriously because <laughs> it's late era Tom Baker. He doesn't take anything seriously. Um, and they all start like they they just kind of hang out in the in the chateau. They hang, they they talk to Scarleone and Scarleone's like, eh, I don't want you messing up with my plan, so I'm gonna lock you in the basement. So they go to the basement. Um, they get locked in a dungeon. And, uh, <laughs> at this point, Duggan, who in the first episode didn't, didn't want to do this or didn't actually do any of this, suddenly starts randomly getting this character trait where he just wants to hit everything in sight. Um, so the doctor and Romana and Duggan are locked in a cell and they realize that the cell has been walled up and it's not as big as it probably should be. So the doctor's like, Hey, come here, uh, Duggan and knock down this door so Doug, Duggan wa- knocks down the wall they go oh into this God. little wait wait wait, wait, wait. but but what does he say when he's gonna knock down the wall he says <laughs> this is the best said, part this is the best part <laughs> he says I think it's about time it was aired out or something no 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 no, no. no it's the it's what it's like like the only the only power I need are like my fists or something like that he said like it's a total like Captain Hammer line <laughs> Like it's it's ridiculous, yeah. Um, because he tries to does he? because uh, cause the doctor tries to do it with the sonic screwdriver and it's not working. Mm-hmm. And and so then like he's just like, what? Yeah, because he says something like that. Like the like, like the only sonic thing I need are my fists. Like it makes no sense. And he just knocks it down with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny. Every time Duggan hits something, it's hilarious. Yeah, That's, it's true. It's it's hard. It's hard to um. It's hard to explain unless you watch it. But like until you see like the extent to which 
they just write this character just going for it it's 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 impressive um so they break into this second dungeon where the doctor uncovers six additional mona lisas and we get this great scene where scarleone dressed in like a kimono which is um, like (laughs) for one thing he's always wearing like a white italian suit in the vein of some bond villain but here he's wearing this green kimono thing and the doctor's like, "Hey, why don't you, uh, you know, uh, tell us what you're doing the Mona Lisa's, what, what you're doing the Mona Lisa's for?" And Scarlett is like, "No, I think I'm just gonna shoot you." <laughs> and then Duggan just runs up and jacks him in the face <laughs> and knocks him out. And he's like, "Good, now let's get out of here." And the doctor's like, "All right, well, you and Romana go to the Mona Lisa to make sure that Scarlett doesn't steal it, and I'll go to the TARDIS and go back in time to see why the hell Leonardo da Vinci made these." Six Mona Lisas. Um, that that kimono that he's wearing is like seriously. It, it's 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 like a Tron kimono. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. That thing is ridiculous. Yeah. It's 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 pretty it's pretty gorgeous. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Doctor goes back into the TARDIS. He travels off to Leonardo da Vinci in Renaissance Italy, starts talking to himself because this is what happens. And then is, is come across by this, by this guard who's like, sup bro, sit down. We're going to introduce you to Captain Tancredi. And the doctor's like, who's Captain Tancredi? And then friggin' Scarleone walks out of nowhere and just says, I'm Captain Tancredi. And it is the best fracking cliffhanger in the world. It's really good. Oh, it's uh, it's such a perfect what button now? Like it's oh it's oh it's so good. Um, so so that's that's episode two. It's 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 I mean a lot happens, but not a lot because it's all like jokes and funny Douglas Adams dialogue. Uh, but there you go. That's that's episode two with the doctor yeah. like what's what's happening? Um, yeah. So. Part three, we come back. Romana and Duggan, they, they break into the Louvre. They find a guard. They realize that the Mona Lisa's already been stolen. And Duggan's like, oh, snap. So he <laughs> just jumps out a window because the alarm's going off. And Romana chases him. They go back to a bar to regroup, like the cafe that we see at the beginning. And Duggan, <laughs> Duggan's like, you want a drink? And Romano's like, sure. And Duggan, instead of, like, popping the cork off the wine bottle, just smashes the wine bottle on the counter and just starts pouring drinks because he's too lazy to, to uncork the thing. Um, which I just... Oh, God, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, the doctor back in Renaissance Italy, Tancredi's talking to him. He's like, hey, why? What do you know? And the doctor's like, I don't know. Why don't you tell me what I should know? And... <laughs> Tancredi's <laughs> like, sure, I'll tell you because you're gonna be dead soon. So I'm the I'm I'm Scaroth of the Jagaroth. I'm the last of the Jagaroth. And when my ship exploded, I was scattered through time, and now I'm trying to get back to that moment to tell myself not to go to warp and blow up my ship. Um, and the Doctor's like, you can't do that. And and Scarlini's like, yes, I can. And then the Doctor's like, okay. And Scar and 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 Tancredi's like, okay. Well, I'm leaving. Guard, torture him with thumbscrews and. The doctor's like, wait a minute, <laughs> pulls out a camera, takes the guard's picture, the guard is out for the count, and then the doctor writes in big felt-tip markers, this is a fake on the back of, on the canvas for the rest of the Mona Lisas. Um, 
uh, hopefully screwing up the rest of what's going on. He jumps back in the TARDIS, races back to Paris, um, and uh, the, races back to Paris, checks out the the uh, the Louvre, finds out that they've been that uh, the Louvre is, that the Mona Lisa has been taken, and it's like, well, now where the heck are Romana and Duggan? <laughs> Romana and Duggan. Tried to sneak back to Scarleone's, but they've been captured again. And Scarleone's like, "Here's what I want to do." Explains it to Romana. Romana's like, "Oh, I can help with that. I'm a time lord." Goes out and instead of Scarleone having to pay millions and millions and millions of research, he just has Romana do the work for him. Which I mean, I don't know what that says about whatever. Um, but uh, he basically has Romana fix all the problems that were wrong with the machine. And this machine is I. The idea of the machine is that it's going it like splits time in half so like everything that's in the machine is in one time zone and then everything that's outside the machine is in the other time zone so if Scarleone gets in this machine he can time shift himself back 400 million years to when the sh- when the- his ship blew up and stop himself from blowing up the ship um meanwhile uh <laughs> the doctor uh Goes back to the cafe. He asks the bartender, "Where did Romana and Duggan go?" The guy's like, "Oh, they went back to to Scarleone's place." And the doctor's like, "Ah, crap." So Romana and Duggan, <coughs> excuse me, test out the machine. They test it on the mad scientist who was helping uh, Scarleone, but he fries. <laughs> oh, like, he doesn't just fry. He does a little. He does a little barrel monkey dance of death. <laughs> Does. They turn the machine on and it's like he just starts doing the most awesome spasm da- like spasm dance I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he collapses and <laughs> and he ages really quickly until he's a skeleton and his glasses fall off halfway through that, which is my favorite thing. Um, because as as he grows older, his glasses just slip farther and farther down his face um, until they just fall off. Uh, and so and his then, clothes get more and more like uh, raggedy, raggedy. Yeah, yeah. And then he's dead, and that's how we end episode three. So that happened. Yeah. Um, what was his accent? I couldn't figure it I, out. I don't know. It, it, he reminded me of like um like uh, German the, Italian Transylvanian. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it, it reminds me of like that sort of um. Oh yes, man. Yes, master. From um, you know, the Frankenstein movies or whatever. Yeah. You know that guy. Yeah. Um, Igor. Yeah, uh, Igor. <laughs> I was about to say uh, Igor, and then I was gonna be like, no, but then you'd think Young Frankenstein. I wasn't thinking Young Frankenstein. And then I realized, oh, I should. I could have just said Igor to make you think of Young Frankenstein. Right. Um. <laughs> so we come back. The doctor returns to the chateau. And uh, meets up with the countess, who's the count's wife. And he's like, by the way, you know that your your husband's an alien. And she's like, ha, that's ridiculous. And the doctor's like, is it? And then the count takes him down to the basement. <laughs> and she freaks out. She's like, that's weird. And ran- <laughs> randomly pulls out this scroll, this Egyptian scroll, and unfurls it. And reveals, like, you know, Set and Anubis and all the different, like, Egyptian gods. And then randomly at the end of the scroll, there's just a Jaggeroth. Like, <laughs> just, like, cray- not crayoned in, but it looks like it's crayoned in. Um, and then she freaks out and thinks he's an alien. <laughs> yeah, and, and realizes <laughs> he's an alien. Um, so, uh, 
the doctor goes down to the basement. He asks Romano what the hell she's doing. She's like, oh, I was helping Scarleone. And the doctor's like, don't you realize what's about to happen? And she's like, no. He tells her and she's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done this. And then <laughs> the Count Scarleone, who uh, thinks leaving them alone is a good idea, runs upstairs, meets up with his wife. And she's like, are you an alien? He's like, uh, rips off his face to reveal that he's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> and like that iconic shot of just a Jaggeroth, which is the most ridiculously silly thing, like costume, um, kills her, I think. And then runs with, back with her with her fancy bracelet. Oh, right. Steals her fancy bracelet. And then, uh, runs downstairs, jumps in the machine and then sets it to explode right as, uh, he leaves. So the Dr. Romana and, du- and Duggan are completely, you know, supposedly SOL in this whole situation because now he's gone back in time to go save, uh, to go, like, you know, save himself from doing whatever he wants to do. And the Doctor's like, I have a time machine! Let's run to the time machine! So they all run to the TARDIS. There's some more running through Paris. We get a phenomenal John Cleese cameo, which is amazing, um, where he discusses the TARDIS as an object of modern art, and then it disappears... Um, because the Doctor, Romana, and Duggan all climb into it and, you know, like, uh, transport away. And then we get them in the, uh, they they all come back to the, you know, to the 400 million years ago, right as life was about to start forming (laughs) in, uh, (laughs) in the world. The Doctor and Romana are like, okay, well, we just have to wait for him to show up. Skara shows up. He's on his way to to fix it. And the Doctor's like, you can't do this. You can't do this. He's like trying to talk him down. You're you're, you're skipping the part where the Doctor dips his hand in people goop and then (laughs) wipes it on his scarf. (laughs) There's basically this primordial ooze. Uh, (laughs) There's like a lake of primordial ooze. And the Doctor like get like dips his hand into it. And he's just like, yep. This ooze is going to be people once this ship explodes because the radiation is what jump starts the evolution of man and plants and all that business. It's like, right. it's like but this goop, th- this is this is what you know makes people. And then he just like wipes it on his scarf. <laughs> I really expected him to wipe it on Duggan, but that was probably a good idea because Duggan probably would have jacked him in the face if he had done that. Probably. Um, and then and then broken a door open. Right. He would have found a door and broken it open. Yeah. Um, so, Skaros shows up. Skaros like, me, stop me from doing the thing. And the doctor's like, I'm, uh, you don't want to do this. Don't, 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 don't do this because you're going to ruin the timeline. Skaros like, I don't care. I'm doing this. And then Duggan randomly walks up and just punches him in the face. <laughs> stops him. And like... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just dumb, but like I just didn't see it coming the first time. And when he did it, I literally just like snorted because I couldn't handle how blindingly obvious but inevitable it was. It was like the best surprise in the world. <laughs> it made me happy. So happy. Um, <laughs> he punches so- him out, then he disappears, and then the, the ship is going to blow up. So they all run back to the TARDIS, escape just in time. The ship blows up. The human race begins. They go back to Paris, drop off Duggan, uh, because at, at the Eiffel Tower, because he's not good enough to become a companion. <laughs> well, he's too violent. I That's... think we've established that. Well, yeah. I almost was... wonder if Duggan wasn't like some kind of comment on on Ian and Stephen. Sure, or any other sort of action hero. 
right to the doctor i mean yeah. he fits in that mold um and it's also telling that he's the one who really saves the day which yeah I think is, which i think is funny um <laughs> but yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't know it, it's entirely possible slash probable because it's it's weird seeing not not weird but like it's interesting that He's played by a British dude, not some American guy. Because you yeah. almost expect that. Is this episode um, before or after the Centaur and shooting gallery? Oh, this is this is after. This is like two seasons later. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Centaur and shooting gallery is season fifteen. This is season seventeen. Okay, so that was a Leela episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was the last Leela episode. Uh, also, that that Centauran shooting gallery is hilarious. <laughs> in case you still haven't seen it yet, it's the best fifteen seconds you can spend on YouTube. I'm convinced. Uh, you could you uh, you could also find that rap video. Because <laughs> that's a good time. The Doctor Who rap video. That's a good time. That is a good time. It is. So it anyway, is. so they drop off they drop off Dugan uh, or Duggan, whatever, and uh, they do so by him being like, so where are you guys from? And he's like, <laughs> the doctor's just like, well, to really find out where someone's from, you should find out where they're going, where, where you're going and work backwards. He's like, well, where are you going? They're like, I don't know. And then they leave. <laughs> I was just like, that was... That was that was idiotic. <laughs> yeah, that was wantonly just mean. Like that's a cruel thing to do. Yeah. So they leave him at the top. He's looking at little knickknacks while they make it down to the bottom of the Eiffel Tower in record time. Yeah, it's it's like they flew down. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, and then uh, they're they're walking, and then we get they're they're walking down below and they wave at him and somehow Duggan can hear him hear the doctor shouting at him from all the way up at the top of the Eiffel Tower um, and then they walk across the across the like Eiffel Tower yard thing that's there the mall it's like a mall yeah and then uh, as they're walking the camera pans way 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 out and then that's it which is an amazing shot by the way like it's it's like from a purely distance perspective it's it's a it's a breathtaking shot for doctor yeah. who I yeah think. sure um and then and then we end it um such fun so much fun yeah such a great rollick of a good time as as the brits would say a cracking good story <laughs> cracking good oh yes i liked this yes. yeah I know. I like this. I just, I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. Sure. Well, I mean, it's also one of those stories that, like, if ever you feel like you want to go back and visit, like, you'll get more out of it. Because it's just, it it just, it ages really, really well. Excellent. Really, really well. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move on, I remind you that I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything. You can get it from a local comic book shop. You can get it from DCBService.com. You place your orders three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. Ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like. And you only pay six twenty-five in flat rate shipping. This month, you can pre-order up to five free comic book day items, including a free hardcover from Arkea Entertainment. Um, Arkea is putting out a free comic book day hardcover. 
wow. with like uh, mouse guard stuff in it and and a couple of other things that they do. Um, I think they're doing I think they're doing a Jim Henson thing in there too. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then also, uh, Vertigo is putting out in March. Vertigo is releasing four new number one issues, and you can get all four new Vertigo number ones for two ninety nine in a bundle. So if you want to try wow. some new Vertigo number ones, and that includes Saucer Country. Uh, number one, which is the new Vertigo series from Paul Cornell, who uh, Doctor Who fans will know as the writer of Father's Day and uh, 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 human, nature. human Nature. Yeah, Human Nature and Family of Blood. Um, so he's good, and <laughs> that is going to be awesome. It's being described as uh, the West Wing meets Aliens, so... Uh, West Wing meets West Wing West Wing meets X Files, so that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, and you can get that with along with three other new Vertigo number ones, all in a bundle together for two ninety nine. Three dollars, four comic book issues, three dollars. And if and if you just want to try the new Vertigo books and pre-order those, shipping is only going to cost you three dollars. Ooh, so. It's a special shipping rate for just those four Vertigo number ones. So thanks to DCBService.com. Go there and order some comics. Next week, uh, we get a second Doctor story, Patrick Troughton, The Underwater Menace, our first reconstructed episode. Yes. Yeah. After a year, we've been because do- we've been doing this podcast, or, you know, you and me have been doing this for a year. I think it's time we bite the bullet and jump into some of these reconstructions so we'll see how it goes yeah and this is this is our second bond villain story in a row <laughs> oh oh i don't know if i'd call him a bond villain <laughs> oh that's he has a pet it. octopus that sounds bond villainy to me oh god that pet octopus oh boy we're, we're gonna have to talk about that <laughs> so that's next week uh matt where can people find you on the internet you can find me on the internet at twitter.com slash Gungit, and you can also find me at my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash gdcommentary, where I live tweet stuff. Sunday Trek coming back. Uh, probably not. It probably wasn't back this week. It probably won't be back next week because I have a super special project that I'm working like a job that I'm working on that pre- prevents me from being anywhere on uh, January 15th. Um, but uh, coming up soon after that, so keep your eyes peeled. Uh, also, just about anything else I might feel like live-tweeting, including random thoughts on Once Upon a Time, which is not ever going to happen again, um, <laughs> uh, because I'm not watching that show anymore. Um, so keep your eyes on GD Commentary. Uh, you can also follow my blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, where I review classic Doctor Who. Uh, to, like Not this past week, but the week before, I did a review of uh, The Horror of Fangrock, which is one of my all-time favorite stories. And this week I did a giant mega post on Kinda, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, So uh, read that. I talk a lot in that one about a lot of things. So stuff. Um, And uh, also mindrobber.net, which is where you're at right now. (laughs) Because awesome. Uh, Scott. Uh, Yeah, twitter.com slash Scott Corelli, twitter.com slash Scott Commentary. And uh, geekbynight.net is my uh, is my uh, webcomic, and you could go there and check out that, um, which should be happening sooner rather than later. 
I'm looking for a new penciler if anyone's interested uh, in doing like a fill-in couple pages, few pages, whatever, let me know. Um, you can email us at uh, contact at mindrobber.net. Um, and uh, the then, Mind Robbers. Yeah, the Mind Robbers, which is uh, the our our everything else podcast that we're going to be talking about. We're gonna we're, where we talk about all of the things, and we're going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks is when that will launch. Mm-hmm. So uh, watch this space. Watch this space for that. Um, and iTunes, the iTunes Music Store, because it'll be there. So yes. All right, guys. We'll touch you guys next week with the Underwater Menace. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.